Oh, it's great to be with you this morning. It is great to worship with you in the congregation, hearing your voices. It is such a joy, which is great because this is the Advent Sunday of joy. So we're gonna be talking about joy this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I lift up my own heart. I lift up my spirit to you and I pray that you order my spirit, you order my heart, you order all of our hearts in this room with your spirit, with your heart. You align all of us with your spirit. What we need to hear, what we need to be encouraged by, what we need to be challenged by, would you anoint us this morning? Would you be welcome here? You are welcome here. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's dive in. Uh, Joy. Sometimes I think that we forget what a privileged time we're living in. And I don't mean privileged by the fact that we have information at our fingertips. We live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. Um, We have more stuff than like any other generation has ever had. I don't, that's all true. Uh, But I don't mean that. I mean, I think we forget how privileged we are by the fact that we live in a time that we know God's promise was fulfilled. The people living in darkness, God's people, the Israelites, hadn't heard from God for 400 years. And they had to keep trusting a promise that someone was coming to deliver them. Their Messiah was coming. 400 years. We are so privileged that we live in the time in history that we know the promise came. We know the promise was fulfilled. That is the, the backdrop of Advent. These people, our ancestors, our brothers and sisters that have gone before us, they were exiled. They were living in oppression. There was injustice. They were confused. They were toiling in order to survive. And not only that, they felt completely abandoned by their God. Abandoned, 400 years. A lot of us have waited for promises to be fulfilled for years. Some people even for decades. That's centuries. That's generations that go by without seeing that the promise has been fulfilled. And they hung on to their faith. I mean, I... If, if, something, if I pray for something and it doesn't happen in two weeks, I'm like, well, silly me for believing that God would do something. It's been two weeks, 400 years. That is the backdrop of Advent. It's why, it's why I'm really sensitive about saying Merry Christmas during the Advent season. Because if we're truly living in what Advent is supposed to be, then we are trying to understand the longing We're trying to understand the waiting. So I say things like happy Advent or Merry Advent um, before, before Christmas gets here. I'm really sensitive about it because we don't know how to live with this longing. We want everything instantaneously. We don't know how to live in the waiting. But guess what? Sometimes the waiting, we go through the waiting because if we didn't, we wouldn't recognize the promise. 
If we didn't, we wouldn't recognize that the gift has come. I had a friend years ago, this was probably like 11 or 12 years ago and I was crying about something and they said, they said to me, there will be such a depth to your joy because of the length of your wait. Oh my goodness, who wants that? <laughs> no, I'd be fine with the lesser joy now, right now, okay? So how do we live into that? How do we live into that? There will be a depth of your joy, to your joy, because of the length of your wait. So uh, not only is this the, the backdrop of Advent and the people living in darkness, but this is our backdrop of Advent. We are a people living in darkness, even though we know the promise has been fulfilled. The statistics are staggering about this time of year. So it's supposed to be the most joy-filled, lighthearted. I just watched Elf the other day. If you don't get joy from watching Elf, I, we have major problems. You need to make an appointment with me. I don't know. I just watched Elf the other day. It's supposed to be the most joyous time of the year and light and um, peace and harmony and love and all of these things. This is the time of year that depression skyrockets. The suicide rate actually skyrockets in this time of year. Loneliness skyrockets. There's this emptiness. Do you know that children on average, I just ran into this study, children on average laugh 400 times a day. On average, adults laugh. What do you think it is? Yeah, 15, 15 times a day. So in, I don't know, in a span of 18 years, maybe even less, 15 years, we go from laughing all day long, 400 times a day, to maybe 15 times a day. I don't know if I laugh 15 times a day, unless I'm watching something on Netflix that's funny. Uh, I don't know if I laugh 50, 15 times a day. And the pursuit of happiness, this pursuit of joy, this pursuit of happiness is in the very fabric of our nation. It is in our constitution that, that, is, that we are allowed on a daily basis to pursue our happiness. So now, depression and anxiety are rising every year. It's worse in this season where it's supposed to be full of light and joy and love. And now it's affecting our children more than ever. We've seen the statistics, the reports on this, that, that children as young as five are living with crushing anxiety. So I think our ancestors, our brothers and sisters, this people that were living in darkness, I think they would be completely dumbfounded by the fact that we live in so much darkness because we know the promise has been fulfilled. I think they would be just, I, I don't think they would be able to comprehend. Like, what do you mean you're living in darkness? Jesus has come. The Savior has come. He died. He's risen again. We're all going to heaven. We get to talk to God like one-on-one -on -one every day. What do you mean you're living in darkness? I think they would be unable to comprehend, right? Isn't that a, like a, just an interesting notion? St. Augustine, one of our uh, sort of fathers of the faith, a great theologian and Christian writer, he said, for who wishes for who wishes anything for any other reason than that he may become happy? Everyone, whatsoever their condition, desires to be happy. 
This was a Christ follower. This was a man that, that spent decades writing about the Christian life. He's not saying this in a condemning way. He's saying this in a matter of fact way. What, I mean, why do we do anything if not to be happy? He's saying this in a matter of fact way. When you are happy, you feel part of the human race. When you're happy, you feel connected. When you're not, loneliness, despair, doubt, they all creep in. And we know that that's not the Father's heart for us. We know that the Father created us to be in community as he is in this joyous community. That's what he longs for us. That's, that's what he desires for us. And so what is going on here? How do we press into joy? A true, happy joy that comes from knowing Christ. I was recently at a gathering where a group of about 20 people were gonna break up into smaller groups and pray uh, for the next 40 minutes or so. A lot of us have been in those kinds of groups. And so as we're, right before we're breaking up into the smaller groups to go pray, the leader has this, this wonderful encouragement and he's going on and on and he's like, he's like, I just, I want you to remember, this is a privilege, this is a joy that we get to pray with, we get to partner with God. God doesn't need us to pray. This is the best part of my day that I get to pray for God to, for these things to come to fruition, blah, blah, blah. This, this joyous encouragement for us as we go into this time of prayer. This was my face. So now there's all this commotion. Everyone's getting up, moving into their groups. Everyone's super excited to pray. And my face was like this. I'm looking at him with this like perplexed, I'm just staring at him. Huh, like he truly believes that. That is not where I live. That is, that is not my address. <laughs> I don't. I don't live there. I don't live in the, um, I, if any of you know the, the Enneagram very well, I am a four. Uh, that is not where I live. That's where Calvin lives. <laughs> Calvin is not a four. Uh, who else, who else would live in that? Um, Buddy the Elf. Uh, lives, lives in that, okay? That is not where I live. I have a hard time understanding or trusting people that I feel like are like, ah, all the time. I have a hard time, I'm like, where are you hiding the Valium? Like, that's kind of how I feel about that. It's, it, that is not, it is not where I live. I'm like, have you seen what's going on in our world? Have you seen how much brokenness we need to repair? Like, what do you mean? Uh, yeah, so I was just staring at him, it, like with this completely perplexed look on my face, like, wow, that is not where I live. Um, there are churches around the country that hold a blue Christmas service. Um, for those that uh, have no family or struggle with depression during the holidays and, they, and it's kind of like a soaking service and, and people are there to pray for you and, and there's a worship. Um, it's, it's a, and that's like where I live. I'm like, oh, we need a blue Christmas service. Like this is not my favorite time of the year. Um, that, that's where I, and I know that I'm a cheerful person. I know some of you are confused right now. I, <laughs> I know that I'm a cheerful person. I know that I tend to be gregarious and I love people and I love to be your cheerleader. Um, I've been told that I omit enthusiasm. 
Uh, so I do understand that. Um, but I, on the inside, I tend toward the melancholy. And uh, so every morning, every Sunday morning, you know, I'm faking it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm also not a morning person. But I, I tend toward the melancholy on the inside. So when Pastor Eric assigned this week to me, the, the Advent week of joy, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like one of the most ironic assignments I could have gotten. Um, so, so then what does that mean for me and joy? Like how do I press into joy as this is almost like a command? There's 246, depending on the translation, 246 references to joy and happiness in the Bible. More, even more in the Old Testament than the New Testament. How do I press into this if I tend toward the melancholy on the inside. How are you doing on the joy spectrum? Where would you place yourself on the joy spectrum? Christians are supposed to radiate joy and peace and contentment. Already when I hear the phrase supposed to, I'm like, nope, nope. But they, what we are, we're supposed to, like, Jesus has come. The promise has been fulfilled. We walk in the light and the victory of that. We should emit just unmistakable joy and contentment and peace that it's so attractive that others are naturally drawn to us because they want what we have. 246 references of joy in the Bible. And that's not even counting the synonyms for joy. You've got, you know, they marveled or glorious or that's not even counting the synonyms that also could mean joy. Understanding abundance and generosity and joy is a foundational principle throughout scripture. And yet in today's culture, the vast majority of Christians are perceived as angry and judgmental and they don't seem to derive any joy from life whatsoever. Many Christians have been taught early on, some of you might recognize this a little bit more than others depending on how you grew up, but many Christians are taught early on that God doesn't want us to be happy, that he wants us to be holy. Okay? So they're laboring under this false notion that God himself is not happy but nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is filled with verses that prove that ours is a happy, joy-filled God who desperately wants his children to, to be happy. Otherwise, why would he go to such great lengths to restore our joy and our happiness in, um, our, uh, in his presence? We know that we will experience unimaginable, unimaginable joy and happiness in heaven, but that doesn't mean we can't also experience it here on earth. Let's look at Isaiah 9. We're going to look at verse 1 through 4. I'm gonna, it's going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read it as well. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. This was the people in darkness. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people 
walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Let's look at Isaiah 35, verse five. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness like streams in a desert. Hmm. So a lot of you know the um, rejoice passage in Zechariah, Zechariah 2, I think it is from, because it was made famous in Handel's Messiah. And she's saying rejoice. Uh, the woman, the soprano is singing rejoice, rejoice, that one. Uh, re- <laughs> rejoice, O daughter of Zion. So basically the, the passage is saying shout and be glad. Shout and be filled with joy because I, the Messiah, I, your God, am coming to live among you. Shout and have joy. Guess what? Jesus lives among us because he's in us and through us and around us. He lives among us. This was for a people living in darkness that were separated from God. We have him. We can shout. We can be glad. We can live in joy. He lives among us. So let's talk about a kingdom-centered joy. A people living in darkness, us and them, them and us. We've talked a little bit about them. In the Bible, darkness means both evil, so like explicit darkness, and ignorance, implicit darkness. At the time of Jesus' birth, so they were still, promise still hadn't been fulfilled. It's about to be fulfilled. At the time of Jesus' birth, look at what was going on in society. Abuse of power, a mad, an insane, power-hungry king, there was violence, there was injustice. They were in like the, the kind of grip of Rome right now, homelessness, refugees fleeing oppression, families ripped apart. It sounds a little bit like today. So think of the first Christmas. That, that's the backdrop. God's people have gone four centuries without hearing a word from him. When he finally speaks to the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah doesn't believe him, so his voice is taken away. He can't speak. Then he goes to the young, unwed girl, Mary. Mary believes him, and she's impregnated, but no one believes her. So then she's thought to have fallen into some pretty severe sin. Eventually, Joseph hears from God, so he believes her. But then they have to travel 80 miles away. There were no cars. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, Maybe the Model T, not yet. So there were no cars. They had to travel 80 miles away to pay taxes that they couldn't afford uh, (laughs) to Bethlehem. And that's where, as we know, she goes into labor, obviously. Like, I mean, it couldn't get any worse. She goes into labor next to a bunch of animals in a cave. Um, Sounds great. And then eight days later, when they take Jesus to the temple for circumcision in in a a bris, it's called a bris, it's a, a very important Um, because it it symbolizes the covenant with them and God. So they take baby Jesus to the temple 
They don't know his name is Jesus yet, but they take him to the temple to uh, be circumcised. And then Mary gets a word from a prophet that says, your, your heart is going to be pierced with a sword. Okay. So, uh, and then finally, King Herod, mad King Herod, wants the baby killed because he believes him to be a threat. And so they have to flee to Egypt as refugees and live far from their home for eight years. But we sing, all is calm and all is bright. <laughs> this was the reality of Jesus' birth. No doubt, though, there were moments of sheer joy. We just talked about streams in the desert. That's, that's quite a desert. I don't, I don't understand. She had a baby next to animals in a cave with straw. That's, that's incredible. And then the king wanted to kill the baby, and then instead he killed all the other babies. That's not just a desert. That's that's awful, that's horrendous. And yet there are moments of joy that were recorded for us. And I wanna take a look at a few of them. Luke 2.10, the angels come, and we know this very well. The angels come and they say, an angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, this, this was also important because the shepherds, not only were they physically outsiders, they're way on the outskirts of the town, in the fields, not only were they physically outsiders, but socially, they were the outsiders. They smelled, it was kind of a menial job, children could do it, they were the outsiders. So the angel not only said, I bring you news of great joy, but then they said, that will be for all people, even you, even you, the outsiders. That is a joyful message. In Luke 2, 17 and 18, they said when they had seen him, these are the shepherds, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. All who heard it marveled. All who heard it were amazed. That produces joy. That produces hope. And then in Luke uh, 158, he says, it says, her neighbors and relatives, this was when it was time for Elizabeth to give birth to John the Baptist, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. There's a few more scriptures where joy is recorded in the birth of Jesus story um, that I'm not going to go into right now, but we have Zachariah's song. When Zachariah's voice was returned to him and he saw that the promise was going to be fulfilled in these, these babies that were right in front of him, we have Zachariah's song. We have Mary's song. When Mary, when Mary was told, you're, you're going to birth the savior of the world, we have Mary's song. It was full of joy. I will not cry. Um, so there, were, there was wonder in, the, in the, the story, the birth story that included announcements from angels and glimpses of a reality that is pure and otherworldly. A reality that was completely different than the reality that they were living in. There were incredible declarations about who this child is that produced joy and hope. 
It says in Luke that Mary pondered and treasured these things in her heart. So the joy of the first Christmas did not have anything to do with their earthly circumstances. It was not also, it was not about denying the darkness. An almost absurd reality of their situation. They weren't denying it and neither does God want us to. The grief was there. The grief was present. And even there were some glimpses of a future grief. So the, the, the grief was present. They knew some grief was coming, but they still marveled. They still had these glimpses of joy. Mm. The joy came in recognizing that they were somehow under God's wing. Remember, we have this whole canon. We have all of these scriptures that t- we, we know so much more about who God is than they did. And somehow they knew that they were under God's wing in this whole situation. That somehow they were witnessing and living in the kingdom of heaven. So a happy Christmas that cultivates joy and then beyond that, a life that cultivates joy is not in pretending or denying, is not in pretending that everything is okay. How many people have heard, just be happy. Who hears that? I hear that on a regular basis from people. Oh, just be happy. We see it on signs in Hobby Lobby be happy. And I'm like, and that goes in the back. And I rearrange all their shelving because I'm like, don't tell me to be happy. That's just denial. That's not reality. That's not authentic. Right? So just be, just be happy. Just be happy. Excuse me. My car just broke down. Please don't tell me to be happy. And that's the least of people's problems, right? That's the least of people's problems. So it wasn't in pretending It wasn't in denying the grief. It's in trusting God and rejoicing that his kingdom is near to us. Rejoicing that we live, we walk in the victory. We walk in the light because the promise has been fulfilled. That's where the happy joy comes from. The contented joy comes from. Happy joy is a pervasive sense of well-being from God that permeates our personality. Hello. Melancholy. If I live with melancholy on the inside, the, the well-being, the happy joy that comes from the Holy Spirit is actually per, permeating my personality. It is transforming my personality that I kind of live with melancholy and it spills out onto the people around us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The other form of darkness, the ignorance. So we've got explicit darkness, the evil. We're talking about ignorance now. It's seen when we look only to the things of the earth to bring light. So in Isaiah 8 and 9, we're not going to read this all together, but but this is the, uh, the sort of the description of the people living in darkness. This description of uh, they had started worshiping other gods. Uh, they had they had this attitude of self-sufficiency and arrogance. Um, they, 
it, it was like, yeah, yeah, we know this God of our ancestors, but look at all these gods kind of thing. We do that when we go into a store. I need one item. Look at all these items. This is like my daily life, yeah. So we go into, I, I, what did I go? I went into a store to get, oh my gosh, what was it? It was two days ago. Literally one item. I had like seven minutes. I can do this. And then it was like, but look at the whole store. And then I'm like, well, you know, I could push, I could, I could, it's like 15, 20 minutes, like an hour later, you know, I'm like, so that's kind of what was going on. There was lots of self-sufficiency, lots of arrogance. They had started to consult other gods and to consult mediums, fortune tellers, dark stuff, right? And so um, for us, when we're looking to the things of this earth to fulfill us and to bring us that light. It's a, it, it's a little different, but not too much. I mean, it's nuanced because we've got this thing of like consumerism, like American, bigger, better, more, more. So, the, so consumerism is really how we kind of live into that. Um, but many of these same characteristics, self-sufficiency. I don't need you, God. Like I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, I can do it on my own. Self-sufficiency, arrogance, it's all about me. Um, and so, we, we need something that's not in us in order to be walking in the true light. We need something outside of us that something specifically is Jesus. We need a light that is outside of us to come because we can't do it. If we if we continue going with just us, if it's just up to us, it gets darker. We see this all over scripture and we see this in our society. Um, Christmas, I, I, I love this idea. I pose this idea to you as something to kind of mull over. Christmas is like the most unsentimental and realistic way of looking at life. It's, it's, this, it's this way of looking... We need this savior to be born right now. Like if it's up to us, it gets worse. If it's up to us, it, we have failed. We, we need this. We, Christmas is coming. Oh, okay, thank goodness. Like the most unsentimental, the most realistic way of looking at our life is saying, we have messed it up. We don't have the capacity on our own. We need this baby. Thank you, Jesus. Things really are this bad. We can't heal ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We need this baby. Hope comes when we cling to the two anchors of God's promise, okay? So the historical action of sending Jesus, that's one of the anchors. The future action of Jesus' return and the restoration of all things, that's the second anchor. So when we cling to the two anchors of God's promise, that produces hope. And I would like to pose to you that joy is the physical manifestation of hope. It's really hard to have true, happy joy with no hope. That seems like an empty joy. That seems like a faking it kind of joy. Seems like a Valium kind of joy. So if you've got the two anchors of God's promise, he's, he has sent Jesus, promise has been fulfilled, Jesus is coming back, this produces hope, and joy is the physical manifestation of hope. So how do we cultivate 
joy when we don't feel it, when we feel like we are a people living in darkness. What time is it? Okay, doing good. Pope Francis, <laughs> that was a funny transition. Um, Pope Francis said this great thing, and I have, I have great esteem for Pope Francis. I think he is adorable. Um, I would like him to be my friend. Pope Francis said, a church without joy is unthinkable. A church without joy is unthinkable. Scripture confirms that God wants us living in joy and happiness. By the way, joy and happiness are the same in Scripture. I, I, I know that we uh, happiness has gotten a bad rap because I think the definition has been twisted a little bit over the decades. Um, I have great, great resources that can point you back to the fact that joy and happiness are the same thing in Scripture. We don't have time to go over it today. If you want to know those resources, just let me know. So all of these patriarchs of the faith, theologians and philosophers, um, have all these Christian writings on joy and happiness. Uh, we've got Thomas Martin. We've, got, we've already mentioned St. Augustine. Jonathan Edwards. Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan, by the way. We think, you know, we think the Puritans, like, oh, that was miserable. No, no, no. One of, the, <laughs> one of the kind of key Puritan thinkers has tons of writings on pursuing joy and happiness. And so here's one that I think you might like because it's from Martin Luther. We are a Reformed church. So here's what Martin Luther, one of the things Martin Luther said. He, he said, and it's so simple, you're gonna love it. He said, it is pleasing to the dear God, whenever thou rejoicest or laughest from the bottom of thy heart. It is pleasing to the dear God whenever thou rejoicest or laughest from the bottom of thy heart. Luther, Martin Luther, I mean, we, most of us know this, Martin Luther accidentally caused one of the greatest chasms in history. He split the church. There, there were multiple, like he was marked for death from multiple different factions. He was fleeing all the time. It was a dangerous, dangerous desert that he lived in. And he still had writings on joy and happiness, cultivating joy and happiness in this Christian faith. It is pleasing to the dear God whenever thou rejoicest or laughest from the bottom of thy heart. We have to get past a notion, a false notion, that God's glory and our happiness are, are on different sides of a balance. Throw that notion away all together. It is a false dichotomy. They are inextricably linked. God's glory and our happiness are linked. They are both parts of his desire, his design, and his plan. I don't, I don't have time to go further on that, even though I want to. So I think one evidence of Pope Francis' idea that a church without joy is un unthinkable. I think one of the evidences is found in Isaiah 11. Um, so Isaiah 11, one through 11. Do we have that, Stephen? It's okay. It might be late, it might be later on. 
Hold on. Okay, if you find it, let me know. Let's go to Psalm 63. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. This is King David. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul is satisfied as with the richest of foods. With joyful lips, my mouth will praise you. In, in Isaiah 11, 1 through 11, it's talking about this grand future for the people of God. There's all of this incredible language about abundance and life and love. It's all over our scriptures. And so I think, I think that's where Pope Francis has this idea. A church without joy is unthinkable. So what signals joy to you? When you think of joy, you can call it out. What signals joy to you? Elf, the movie Elf, yeah. Okay, come on, I know. There's a, there's a few that are pretty obvious. Baby's laughter, come on. Singing, oh good, that's coming up. Foreshadow. Who else? God's promises. Okay, you get a gold star, fine, whatever. Uh, what else, Joy? Grandchildren, baseball, absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. Anything else? Puppies. Food. It's a big one. Coffee. It's a big one. What? Weddings. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> For a lot of us, it signals joy, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so these are things, these are things that signal joy to you, right? When you think of joy, like, oh, this, is, this just brings me so much joy. I think I have a friend here, yes I do, I have a friend here who, um, who dances and runs and paints and she does all of these, and this, like this, this is how she cultivates joy. She has a pretty difficult job and she's extremely disciplined about doing the things that she know cultivates joy. So that she's completely, or that she's always being replenished because this, of this job that takes a lot out of her. Okay, so John 8, 12 talks about Jesus being the light of life. He is the light for us when all the other lights go out. He is the light and we, and we have, oh, here it is. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is he doing? The scripture from Isaiah. He's referencing, I am the promise. He's referencing the scripture from Isaiah. You know that prophecy? You know how you waited 400 years for this? I, it's here. You don't have to walk in darkness anymore. I, I am the light. It's here. I have come to you. You are with me. And, and, even, and even we see so much joy in Jesus's ministry. He praises God with joy in Luke 10. He, um, there's evidence, evidences of um, laughter and sarcasm with, with the disciples. So even Jesus has this, uh, this lighthearted, this happy laughter throughout his ministry. So um, the problem is we, us, in our humanness, 
we just don't use the right means for becoming happy. We look to other things for becoming happy and, then, and we also have incorrect definitions of what happiness is and what joy is. So for this last section, we're gonna go pretty fast because I think some of them are going to be really um, like, oh yeah, I've heard that a hundred times. I just don't do that. So this is gonna be the practical application section. We can call it the PRAC app. And um, so here are, your, here are your PRAC apps for today. We, so we just don't use the right means for becoming happy, but that doesn't mean we can't get better at it. So one connection with joy, one way to produce joy was said over here in this section. Somebody gets a gold star over there. Singing! Ah! Oh my goodness! Paul and Silas in prison. They were in prison. They had been beaten. What did they do? They sang. They sang. And it lifted them out of, internally out of their circumstances, even though their circumstances hadn't changed. They sang. The angels to the shepherds. So they made the announcement, the miraculous announcement that we already talked about. And then all these thousands of angels came and they sang. And the shepherds were amazed and it produced joy. Buddy the elf, our great theologian. <laughs> the best way, you all know. Okay, so that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer, singing. Uh, that is a no-brainer. A song speaks when words cannot. A song speaks when words cannot. We have two books of the Bible entirely dedicated to song, entirely dedicated to singing. Have you thought about that? Singing is very important to God, not only as a way to praise him, but as a way, as a vehicle that he uses to cultivate joy in our spirits. I understand some of you might say, well, you're a little biased. <laughs> it is what you've dedicated your entire career to. So um, don't take my word for it. You can look through the Bible. <laughs> we've got Mary's song. We've got Zachariah's songs. Songs fill us with hope. And as we know, hope is the physical, or joy is the physical manifestation of hope. I think I've said this to you before. Um, I think. But when I was called to ministry, uh, I, just, I just wanted to sing. I was, I was, just, a, I was just a singer. And so called to full-time ministry, okay, great. Like I can see, you know, I've been singing in a different capacity. Like I'll just sing in church now. That's fine. So I went to seminary and I, I got my, my graduate degree in seminary. And, but I had been studying and I had like two different jobs and an internship and a full course load. And, and so I hadn't sung in like over a year. And when I got very involved in my church in California um, and finally got on the worship team there, the first time that I was driving from my apartment in Pasadena to church for my first rehearsal to sing with the team there, I burst into tears. I just burst into tears. And it was like, it was happy tears. It was joyful tears, which don't come to me very often. 
I just burst into these happy tears because I was so happy just to get to sing. So um, all this other junk came later. I don't know, something has gone horribly awry that 80% of my job is administrative. Um, <laughs> so, so, but I just wanted to sing. And, and, that, and singing and even the notion of singing just does something inside of me that, that produces joy, um, but it's not just me. It's not just me, it's you too. You, you just maybe haven't practiced that. Joy and gratitude. Gratitude produces joy. Uh, we see this all over the Psalms. Um, David, you know, he's being hunted. He's in caves. He is, is, we see this all over the Psalms. And he is, he is depressed. And he is in despair. And he is crying. And he is lonely. And he says all these things to God. He says, God, why, wh- why have you abandoned me? Why are these people hunting me? I am your man. What have you, and then what happens toward the end of the psalm? Oh, but I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for your loving kindness. I am so thankful that, that you are the one, that you are my shelter, that I am in the shadow of your wing. I'm so, and, then, and then all of a sudden, he's okay. He's okay for another day. Gratitude produces joy. If you have never done a gratitude journal, I really, I really recommend that. Joy and community. We were created to live in community. And so when we're in depression, when we're in despair, it's very easy to separate ourselves. And then that loneliness, and then that emptiness, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. So coming toward community, even if it's one person, just reaching out to one person and saying, hey, I'm having a bad day. Can we chat? Can I vent? Can we go see a movie? Can we do something? Some, can we go ice skating? If, if you just, if you move toward community, all of a sudden, whoosh, joy. Joy is increased. It's hard for some of us. Some of us are not people people. Um, some of us are, are not just introverts, but like extreme introverts. Some of us are. So that's hard. Guess what? It's a discipline. It's a discipline to move toward people in order to cultivate joy. Joy and play. Psalm 30, 11 says, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You've taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. This is one that's very um, especially dear to me because dancing is one of the things on this earth that produces the most joy in me. I love to dance. I have ever since I was little. I still do to this day. I go out dancing regularly. I, I just, I don't know. It's just the way that God has created me. I feel like it's just me and Jesus and I'm so free and happy and it cultivates so much joy. And when I'm really, really down, once I've, you know, tried the singing and tried the gratitude and called some friends, sometimes I have to call friends and be like, hey, can we go to Cowboys? Like, I need to dance. That cultivates joy. So what kind of play, what kind of brings you back into a childlike manner that's going to produce joy? It could be hiking. It could be jumping around the rocks. 
It could be um, walking, walking your dog, playing with your dog. Um, I love sunsets and I love the moon. There's something about the moon when I see it rising, I just, it just produces joy. It just produces awe and joy. Um, babies, ba- it, I mean, like there are jobs, there are volunteer positions that you, you can have, that you can go rock babies in a hospital or something. If you, something that produces, that you're doing with play, play, lightheartedness. That produces joy. One of my mentors um, was a very serious, I mean, he still is. He's kind of like a serious, like, um, he's like a studious man. He's a scholar. He, and he said one day to his wife, listen, I think people are, are really intimidated by me and I'm kind of sick of it. So I'm going to develop a plan to become more joyful. I mean, he's a Christian. He knows that that is, is part of our life as Christ followers. I'm going to develop a plan. His plan had, like there were action steps. One of them was singing in the shower. That was an action step, a literal action step. And he would ask his wife at the end of the week, how many times did you hear me sing in the shower this week? How am I doing? Like he was increasing his joy with literal action steps because he didn't want people to be intimidated by him. He wanted to be seen as this love, having this loving, happy joy because that's what he saw in his savior. Joy and play. The last one I'm gonna talk about is joy and health. Oh gosh, yeah, this is personal, y'all. Exercise. Oh man, it, it, I mean, study after study after study releases, it releases endorphins. It's so good for us. It releases endorphins to be, to be outside in the sunshine, walking or hiking or running or biking, um, even just sitting. But exercise can, can create the space for joy, create the space to cultivate joy. Um, an outer Outer order, mm, this is a good one. Outer order brings inner calm. And then when there's inner calm, we have this space that, that joy can flourish and can blossom. So outer order, that might mean, um, this is a part of the health, decluttering your car, decluttering your home, decluttering your office. Y'all, I just got an Apple Watch and I don't love technology. Um, so it's an interesting relationship so far. It's been about five days. And, I just, and I, I just got this Apple Watch and it tells me when to stand. Are you kidding me? It's so easy now. It's so easy. I just get this little time to stand. It's incredible. It's so easy now. So even small changes in health arena can affect this space inside of us to create, to cultivate a life of joy. Those were pretty, pretty intuitive, right? Oh man, it's so hard for us sometimes. Um, Timothy Keller, the, the pastor in, in New York City, um, a lot of you have read him, know him. Uh, I love this, this quote that he has, this, this thing that he says. He says, while other worldviews lead us to sit In the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, that's called anxiety. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity 
empowers its people to sit in the midst of life's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Do you see this kingdom that we live in? This upside down kingdom that we get to participate in. Other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of, of a joy, of a happy time and be like, well, it's not gonna last. There's sorrows coming. Christianity, the renewing of our minds says we can sit in a desert. We can sit in the midst of our sorrow and taste coming joy. No, the joy is coming. I'm gonna leave you with this Psalm. It's Psalm 511. And here's the, the, reg, the translation that we regularly use. It says, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. And now I'm gonna read the message translation. Y'all are gonna love this. But you'll welcome us with open arms when we run for cover to you. Let the party last all night. Stand guard over our celebration. You are famous, God, for welcoming God seekers, for decking us out in delight. I'm gonna read that one more time. But you'll welcome us with open arms. We're about to celebrate this at our table at our feast. You'll welcome us with open arms when we run to you for cover. Let the party last all night. Stand guard over our celebration. You are famous, God, for welcoming God's seekers and for decking us out in delight. Amen.